Well, I've debated all day whether I open up with this quote, but here goes. I might get kicked out, but oh well. Ayn Ranch, she's a Jewish, or excuse me, she's a Russian uh, writer uh, from the early 1900s, deceased now, uh, started a movement called objectivism and uh, kind of an anti-biblical thing, but she had a quote, a very famous quote, that kind of tells us what many people think of heaven. Here's the quote, don't shoot the messenger. Miss Ranch said this, when I die, I hope to go to heaven, wherever the hell that is. But I want you to think about this. You guys are shocked, right? Because I used the word hell. When I die, listen to what she says. This is what the world says. You can go out in the world. You go out and share the gospel tomorrow morning. I guarantee it. If for somebody who doesn't know the gospel, they're going to say it. I hope to go to heaven. There's this unsettledness in people's heart for this home of heaven. Didn't John Denver sing stuff about, you know, welcome home or whatever it is, that tune that everybody loves. And of course, uh, home for the holidays. Uh, just there's just something about being home that's comfortable, like a brand, you know, your favorite pair of Levi's. And yet our real uh, uh, home is in heaven and people are hoping to get there. But the story of the Bible is we can know we can go there. <laughs> because of all that Jesus has accomplished, we can go to heaven. And listen, I won't, I'm not trying to dwell on it or be funny here, but whatever the hell that is, the world doesn't even know what heaven is. And you're ready to begin a chapter. Uh, we were just talking about it this weekend. We, as I said in Sunday, we had you know, a death in our family. And so a lot of us were talking about what happens to you when you die right now, which is very different from what happens to you and where you're going to live forever if you're in Christ. And don't you want to know the answers to that? Of course you do. And folks, listen. (laughs) What a way to end out the, the year in this environment because people are asking these questions and we should know because we have the answers. And we've been talking about Revelation, and and when we got to chapter 19, we got to the place where Jesus Christ comes back to rule and reign in this earth, and he comes on a white horse, and his armies come with him, and you're his army. So here are the events. I'm going to go over them again. Here are the events. Uh, We live currently in what's called the church age. That's the era of grace and mercy. Remember, Jesus has two advents, two comings to the earth. The first advent already happened. He came as a baby. That's Christmas and grew up and uh, uh, died and rose again. But he's going to come a second time. That's the second advent. But during the uh, period of, or after his death and resurrection ascension then, um, uh, we have this church age in which grace and mercy, God's grace and mercy operates. And we're living there. And we've talked over the last several months, there's nothing left 
There's no other prophecies, nothing, no, there's no obstacle from the Lord coming back right now in the clouds to capture and to take up his church. That's the rapture. That's chapter 4 and 5 of, of the book of Revelation. And then while we're in heaven, chapters 4 and 5, God's going to pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world and, as I say, do business with Israel. Focus on Israel. It's called the seven-year period of tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. I'm pointing to my watch, which I don't have on right now, because I, I think Israel is God's timepiece. And he's going to deal there. And all the different things that happen during the tribulation period and the midpoint of the tribulation period when the Antichrist has come and uh, has solved at the beginning uh, a Mideast peace crisis and made pacts. And then in the middle, uh, you know, he's going to set himself up as uh, the one to worship. And if you don't worship him and take his mark, then you are killed. And that last three and a half year period is going to be really difficult and tough. But at the end of the seven year period of tribulation, well, just as we've been reading in order, chapter 19 ends that period, and in chapter 19, Jesus Christ comes back for his second advent. But listen, he's not coming the next time in grace and mercy. Oh yes, he is grace and mercy, and he'll never stop being grace and mercy, and one could argue even when he comes back, it's graceful and mercy, but merciful, but the emphasis will be on judgment. He's coming as the lion. He's the lamb always, he's the lion always, but he's coming as the judge. And several things are going to happen. We've gone through them. And after that, there's going to be a 1,000-year period called the Millennial Kingdom, the Millennial Reign. That's in chapter 20. Remember, we, we talked about that, and at the end of that period, Satan's going to be released from this place called the Abyss, the Abuso. And what's he going to do? He's going to test those. He's going to uh, draw those. He's going to entice those who haven't had an opportunity to surrender to Jesus Christ. He's going to be there so that they will have a choice then. Get what I'm saying? You say to yourself, man, after a thousand years of prosperity and peace, how could anybody? But listen, folks, that tells you how desperately wicked the heart is. Yeah, you can see the external stuff of good, moral, religious stuff and still never be transformed inside. And we talked about that. And so many things uh, we've seen uh, over the last several weeks Remember, too, also, uh, you know, Antichrist and the false prophet will be into the lake of fire, and there's going to be Armageddon. We talked all about this. Then Satan bound for a thousand years, we just talked. Um, and we will be ruling and reigning with Christ in that millennial kingdom. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be like the Garden of Eden, peaceful. We, we talked about all this stuff. There will be a second probably Gog or Magog invasion. That's in Revelation 20. I'm just trying to give you all the things we hit on several weeks ago. And then remember, the unbelievers at the end of that time 
are going to be resurrected to the great white throne judgment. I don't want any of us to be there. Only unbelievers are resurrected to the great white throne judgment, and even there, God is perfectly fair and just. He says, oh, you're not counting on uh, the righteousness of my son. Okay, we're going to perfectly, or I'm going to perfectly and justly judge you, and here's how I'm going to do it. Show me your works. The problem is our works have all fallen short of the glory of God. Our hearts are desperately wicked. Who could know it? Psalm 130, who could stand before the Lord? Nobody can. Okay. That's all that's come before. Satanic rebellion has been crushed. The great right throne judgment has happened. And now, folks, we're going home. You know when you say the song that I always say to you when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. This is it. (laughs) So let's read it. Verse 1, chapter 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Some of you are really sad right now. No, you're not sad. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And you should highlight that because that's the whole story of the Bible, God's presence with man. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, sorrow, crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Isn't that beautiful? And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. It's all about relationship, folks. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, did I say that right? Anyway, you know what I mean. Murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's the eternal fate of the damned of non-believers if we haven't surrendered our life to Jesus Christ, that second death. Well, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Getting the picture? Now, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and I think, personally, you should start thinking of this like this. Not foundations in the ground. I personally believe this is this, like a skyscraper kind of. I don't know if it's a skyscraper. I'm not saying it's a skyscraper. I'm saying it's built up is what I'm trying to say. So think, as we read, think of that. 
The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gate and its wall, gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, 12,000 furlongs. Uh, uh, its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 140 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. Ready for them? The first stone was jasper, second sapphire, third how do you say that? Charles Donnie, whatever. Fourth, emerald. Fifth, sardonyx. Uh, sixth, sardius. Seventh, chrysolite. Uh, eighth, beryl. Ninth, topaz. Tenth, chrysoprase. The eleventh, jacinth. And the twelfth, amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Now, folks, this is coming down out of heaven. You catching it? This is massive. I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. But this is coming down out of heaven, and it's in a cube. Think of it like a cube. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth Bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter into anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. Isn't that funny that it says that? But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, let's pray. Lord, help us to understand as much as we can, as best as we can, by your Holy Spirit, what's going on here. So we'll just trust in you to uh, do a mighty work here in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn with me to Isaiah 56. I'm going to ask us to jump around. Is that surprising? Uh, so first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to ask us to turn to Isaiah 56. Oh, did I say 56? I meant 51. Isaiah 51. I, I want you to see something. I want you to see that in the prophets, the prophets themselves, chap, chapter 21, verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. It's predicted in the prophets. In chapter 51, verse 6 of Isaiah, if I'm not confusing you, it says... Lift up your eyes to the heaven, look on the earth beneath. This is several hundred years before the time of Christ. Folks, Christ died and rose again 2,000 years ago, so several hundred years. So you're talking, you know, 2,500 or 3,000 years ago, this was written. For the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished. Now turn over with me to Psalm 102. The psalmists wrote about this, so I guess this is even earlier. But the psalmists wrote about this in Psalm 102. Verses 25 and 27, or through 27, right? Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. 
but you will endure. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they'll grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. That's in the Psalms. Hey, guess what? Jesus spoke about this. Go over to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 35. Matthew 24, verse 35. I'm having trouble. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will by no means pass away. Oh, I forgot to tell you to keep your hand in Isaiah. (laughs) Okay, because now what the first thing I wanted to show you was this. That the Bible talks about the heaven and earth passing away. This isn't a new idea that you just stumble upon in Revelation. But I want to answer the question, well, what do you mean the heaven and earth are passing away? That's what I want us to answer now. Okay, so something different. Ready? Go with me to Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah chapter 65. And we're going to look... In verse 17, God, giving his prophecies, says this. Okay, ready? For behold, I create new heavens and the new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. By the way, I think there's something true to that. I don't know everything, and I can't explain all of it to you, but the bad stuff that's baggage type of stuff, when you get to heaven, it's going to pass away. You aren't going to remember that stuff. You've been hurt in your life, and it's troubled you all your life. Guess what, folks? Away. You won't even think about it. You won't even know. I mean, you know what I'm saying. I I don't know how to explain it exactly other than all those things are going away. You're not going to remember that stuff. It's not even going to matter there. But here's what I wanted to show you. Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. The word create there is bara. That word could have been a different word, a different word that means remodeled, but they don't use the word for remodeling, to make something and make it better. They use bara here, which is the same word that is used is in the beginning, God barad, created out of nothing. So why am I telling you all that? Because when you go back to Revelation, see, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. People always ask, is it going to be this earth that we're going to live on? Well, we are going to live on a new heaven and a new earth in a new Jerusalem, but listen to this. This one's going away. It's not getting remodeled. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. Are you catching what I'm trying to say? Okay, now I want to answer the question, how? How is it going to happen? Well, God gave that uh, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 2 Peter. Go with me there. It's really fascinating because some of you right now might be saying to yourself, you might be saying it. You might be saying it. That's whack. That's crazy. I can't believe the guy is up there peddling that. Well, let's just read Peter. 
and see what he has to say. In 2 Peter chapter 3, if I can get there, 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to read a little bit here. It says this in verse 3, knowing this first, (laughs) that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. Scoffers. And they're going to say, where is the promise of this coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Come on, folks. You're really saying that this world is going to go away and a new one's going to happen? There's going to be a lot of people, even in the church, who are going to scoff about it. But listen, for this they willfully forget. Listen, listen. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world then existed, perished, being flooded with water. You get what he's saying there? There was a first earth, kind of, so to speak. I, 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 I follow along with me. And God wrecked it by water because of the evilness or the evil of men's heart. Okay? Did I say first or second? Anyway, the first earth. He kind of wrecked it, and then, and then now we live in this different era. I know it's one earth, but it's kind of a second chance, right? I'm doing this for something I'm going to tell, talk to you later about. And the first time God came and destroyed the earth, so to speak, he did it by water. Well, catch this, though. Uh, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved... For fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now, listen, there's, if there's one thing I hate, it's science. I don't understand it. When I read about it, it goes right over my head. I get B's and C's in those classes. I want to read all day long. But I don't want to do science and math. But one of the things I do know is that science tells us that the stuff that we can see, this matter, is constantly in motion, in ener- uh, it has energy, and it's being held together, folks. Do you know this? In Colossians 1, it says that Jesus holds all things together. How it's being held together, sure, scientists can talk about the atoms and the molecules and all that sort of thing, but they know that there's energy in matter. You get what I'm saying? And what does it take to start a fire? Well, I know, oxygen, you know, I know that but it's energy. And the atomic age has proved that, hasn't it? Well, the heavens and earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire. These heavens and these earth are reserved for fire, the stuff you see. Well, let's talk about the heavens. Remember, Paul was called up into the third heaven. I'm just going to give you a little food for thought here tonight. Most pastors are going to say, yeah, the third heaven where God was. Yes, I believe that. That's the third heaven. He was called up into the third heaven. The second heaven is where the planets and stars are. The first heaven is where the birds are. I think that's true. I think, I think that's true. But remember I just talked to you about a first earth, a second earth, and then a third heaven or a third earth in heaven. You get what I'm trying to say? I just talked to you about that. Could it be that Paul was called up into the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth, and saw it like John sees it here. Something to think about. There are some scholars out there that believe this is talking about when Paul says the third heaven, it's where God is. Of course it's where God is. Yes, it is. 
Second heaven is where the stars and the moon are. First heaven is where the birds are. I, but, but, but then some scholars, a, a few scholars think, well, wait a minute. Could it have been first earth was because of these scriptures totaled by water? We're kind of living now in that second place. And again, the fire is going to happen and a third place is coming and that's the new heavens and the new earth. But you got to say to yourself, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. We can understand why, why this earth is passing away. Can't you understand that? Come on, folks. Look who inhabited, how we treat it, what's going on here. It's polluted. I mean, just the pollution pollutes it, right? We can understand the sinful things that happen here. But heaven... Well, you got to know, listen, to answer that question, I want you to take what you already know from uh, the book of Revelation. Who started in heaven? Lucifer. Who fell from heaven? Lucifer. And he gets this title called Satan, and one of the things Satan is allowed, we know from the book of Job, is what? Access in heaven. In fact, in Job, I hope this is right because it's just coming out from memory. Uh, (laughs) In Job 15.15. Can you go there? Oh, I turned right to it. You believe that. Job 15.15. Yeah, 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 yeah. There it is. Job 15.15 says, if God puts no trust in his saints and the heavens are not pure in his sight. The heavens are not pure in his sight. Wait a minute, it has to be pure, of course, in one sense, because God resides there. But something's happened, and these heavens are going to go away. And there's going to be a new heaven, and these, this earth is going to go away, and it's going to be a new earth. And how's it going to happen? I'm still trying to answer that question for you. Well, when I get back to 2 Peter 3 and you look at verse 8, you say, Beloved, don't forget this one thing. This all ties into Revelation, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. In fact, folks, in my opinion, Revelation 20 is when we've jumped outside of time. You get it? We were in time, but now when the new heaven and the new earth comes back, new, right? new, new heavenly city, no more time. And that's what God's like. But now, to us, there is time. But to the Lord, there isn't time. He lives outside time and space. And the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And do you know what is in the next few verses? Can you hardly believe it? But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away. How? With a great noise. Uh, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Could it be, is it, that Colossians 1, Christ holds all things together, could it just be that he just lets go? And this heaven and this earth pass away, and the thing that John sees suspended in the heaven, this new Jerusalem, is there and comes down. And how that happens, I don't exactly know. But those will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. By the way, I didn't plan to go in on this, but 
if you're saying, well, that's pretty scary, don't surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You'll be spared all of that. None of that impacts you. You'll be with Jesus in heaven. You'll be ruling and reigning with him from Jerusalem. You'll have a place in the new Jerusalem. And while you're here on earth, these things that we're studying, look at this. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking forward and hastening this coming day, this whole period, the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth. Look at this, in which righteousness dwells. Aren't you stoked? Go watch the news for one second and go, oh, it's all going to be put right. Please, folks, I know, I say it too, but let's stop saying it. Can you believe what's going on in the world? Yes, you can believe because you're a Christian and you know the rest of the story. And he's going to put everything right and he's going to do it in righteousness, the right way, the fairest way, the best way, the best judging way. He's going to do all that. We just got through one verse. (laughs) I now... I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This is after the satanic rebellion, after the 1,000 year reign, after the great white throne judgment and all things now are being made new and there was no more sea. See, on earth here, it helps with pollutants. You know that, right? The sea helps with pollutants. I've also heard some people say, and this makes sense to me, that the sea divides. It divides us. There won't be any division in heaven. There won't be any pollution in heaven. I know it's beautiful, and I know it's wonderful, and I know if you love to go to the beach and hang out for a week in vacation, I like to do that, or surf, or do whatever you like to do, or dive. You're you're saying, well, I'm going to be sad in heaven. You won't be sad. The former things are going to be passed away. You'll be so preoccupied with what's coming. You won't be sad. And there will be water, by the way. We'll get there in a minute. (laughs) Well, and... This new Jerusalem, this is a city that's coming down out of heaven from God. It's coming out of that place, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, there's two schools of thought here. One school of thought thinks that the new Jerusalem is the bride. And it's just another way of saying, just like the church is beautiful and spotless and precious, and so that's one thing. Another school of thought is just saying, well, yeah, it's the city coming down, but the bride is in the city. (laughs) So the bride's there, and the bride is you and I, we, we're the church. I happen to think that. But you, you be a Berean and think about those things. As a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God. Now listen, you're saying to yourself, okay, I'm not sure, hopefully you're, you're not, but maybe you are. Okay, this is just, okay, well, no big deal. No, this is a big deal. See, the whole thing of the Old Testament is moving that cumbersome, difficult, slain with blood and priests and things. It was like a, you, it was like, you know, like somebody's, you know, you had to parade it around and it was difficult to do and it was hard. And then you had to build a structure, this temple. And that's where God tabernacled, so to speak. But, but you know from John 1 that Christ tabernacled among us. That's what it says in John 1. 
And I don't know if you get this, but see, this is the touching part. You should be touched. In heaven, there's going to be the perfectness. I know it's not the right grammatical way of saying it, but I don't even know how to say it. The perfectness of his presence. You ever, you ever got, you, you know it, right, folks? Come on, folks. You've been in worship. Uh, you've been in a prayer time. You, you've just, uh, maybe you've served somewhere. And you know, when, when you just know God's presence is there. You know what I'm saying? Just for that fleeting moment for you as a human, you know God's, the hair on the back of your neck stands up, and you just know that you know that you know. And if you told anybody else, they might never even think, yeah, but you know. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, now that's going to be there always. There's never going to be a time you're going to be saying, oh, I don't know, maybe, why doesn't God speak to me? His presence. That's what it's been about the whole Bible. It's been the presence of the Lord. That's what our prayer times are seeking after, the God's presence and his presence in our homes and his presence in our worship and his presence. It's, it's where the beauty is. It's, it's the weight. It's the glory. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. I mean, the, the Lord is our portion, like the priests of the Old Testament. Just the Lord. Just We just want the Lord. Okay, in heaven, it's all the time. So you're not going to care about whether you get to go hiking in Rocky Mac National Park or not. Or whether you get to watch the Steelers or not. You're not, you're not going to care. You're not going to care. You've got the presence of the Lord. Yeah, he tabernacled. Uh, is with men and he'll dwell with them. God is going to dwell with men and women, boys and girls. He's, he's, he, he's going to dwell with us, people. That's what I'm trying to say. He's going to dwell with his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He just wants to emphasize it to you because it's really, listen, whether you're in elementary school, middle school, high school, you're an old guy like me or maybe somebody older than me, it's what you're after in life, and you don't even know it. It's the presence of the Lord, and here it is. It's going to be that way always in heaven. Man, it's so amazing. And God will wipe away every tear. You get that? You know when you say, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to think about you know, that thing that happened in my childhood where this person was, I don't know, died or killed or murdered or, I, I don't know, that bad thing happened to me. Yes, those things are tough. I'm not minimizing those things. Those things are tough. You're not going to remember that stuff. There's going to be no tears. You're not going to remember in the good way, not the bad way. You're going to not remember in the good way because you're not going to be sad anymore. Do you realize that? You're not going to be worried about whether or not there's a virus or not and whether it can kill you. You're not going to worry about that. You're not going to worry about cancer. You're not going to worry about heart disease. That's in my family. You're not even going to sorrow or cry, and you're going to have no pain. For listen, all these former things have passed away. See, I want you to see the emotional baggage is gone. The physical baggage, of course, gone. All the slights and the hurts of life, gone. You're just in the presence of the Lord. That's what will be made new. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me now, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Listen, the one who sat on the throne in his visions gave this to John. Wow. 
John must have been like, what? And he said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I don't know how to fully explain this, but there's a picture here of God the Father and Jesus right here, which just says to me that Jesus is God. How that's worked out there, I don't know exactly. But there it is. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And, and listen, you know this because you know the stories. I'll give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. You'll never thirst again. And that's what Jesus was getting to in John chapter 4 and John chapter 5, or John chapter 7. You'll never thirst again. There's this stuff called water, and it does feel good and you know, satisfy your thirst, but you're going to be thirsty again. But when you drink from the presence of the Lord, never be thirsty. Your heart's going to be totally filled up and settled. You're going to be totally at peace and in pleasure with joy. With none of those other things. You ever had something like bugging you? Like, you know, you're, you, I don't know, you're at your Christmas celebration, and, and, but something's happened in your family or something, and it's just really difficult to enjoy the time that you love to enjoy. You know what I'm talking about? You got a pit in your stomach or you got a work deadline. I don't know. None of that. None of that. And there will be no thirst. You, you, you're you're going to be so satisfied. Isn't that beautiful? The Rolling Stones are going to find out that there is satisfaction, and that's in Jesus Christ. Of course, they're going to be... Never mind. <clears throat> and he who overcomes shall inherit all things. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 25. I'm going to turn over there again. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 25, that great uh, discourse that he was giving in Matthew 25, verse 14. Oh, that wasn't it, but that's because it was 26. In verse 14, remember what Jesus said, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his uh, own servants and delivered goods to them. And to two he gave one talent, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. Immediately he went on a journey. Immediately he went on a journey. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And that's the wrong scripture because it's in verse 4. And that's not even it either. Well, I wrote it down wrong. That hasn't happened in a couple years, but it happens. But Jesus said we're going to inherit all things in this this somewhere in here, and I'll find it for you and tell you later. But he said that we are going to inherit all things. And then it's coming to fruition right here. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. How do we overcome? By the blood of his son. It's not you holding on like you're some great guy or gal. No, it's by the blood of your son. You just keep grabbing on to the blood of Jesus. And you overcome, and so now that puts you into this new heavens, this new place. I will be his God, and he shall be my son, or put daughter in there if you're a lady. I will be his kid, his child, really. I'm in the family of God, and his presence is always there. You ever just wished your dad would come home, or your mom would come home, or maybe just your mom and dad didn't spend a lot of time with you. That was rough and tough. But see here, you, you, your heavenly father, your good father, he's going to be there always calling you son or daughter. But here, how about this? I can't believe the first one's this. The cowardly and unbelieving, 
abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And you're saying to yourself, "Uh uh-oh, what's happening here? Because I read that and go, oh my goodness. Yeah, every one you just go, oh my goodness. That's been me, right? You're, you're saying that to yourself, and you say, am I, do I have part, or am I going to, no, no, or am I going to the lake of fire? No, 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 no. This is the people who habitually practice these things. We're all sinners, saved by the grace of God. Have you done some of these things? Sure you have. So have I. We agree with our adversary quickly. You don't have to tell me. I'm worse than what you wrote in here. Have we done these things? Yes. But by the grace of, of God, through the blood of Jesus, we come in. But if people are unbelieving and re- repel uh, his advances, then no, they'll be, they'll be found in the second death, in the lake of fire, at the great white throne judgment. But now, check this out. That's like the principles of heaven, chapters 1 through 8. He's going to be doing something new, the principles of heaven. But what exactly is heaven? Well, here it comes. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, that's back in Revelation 16, filled with the seven last plagues, came to me. It's funny that John knew, he remembered him, right? Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And see, again, some people think that's the new Jerusalem. Be a Berean. Some people believe it's just us, the church, in the new Jerusalem, if that makes sense. Well, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And he goes on and describes it. But one thing I want you to think about, this is something practical. I hope this is practical for you. You know, Jesus was taken up to a high mountain. That happened in Matthew 4, I think. But it happened in Matthew 4. And Jesus was taken up on a high mountain, and the enemy of his, our souls, the enemy, he takes him up on a high mountain. He takes him up on a high temple. What, what, did, what did the enemy say to do? Look down. The Spirit of God took John and said, look up. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. There are some people who don't know whether something's from the Lord or not. Well, here's a very practical thing to do. Does it make you look up? It's totally from the Lord. It could even be something really difficult and hard. It doesn't have to be, you know, 10,000 pounds, you know. It can be difficult and hard, but it doesn't make you look up. Or, how do I know if it's from the enemy? Well, when you're up there, are you looking down? Are you a real downer? Are you complaining? I don't mean telling the truth. I'm talking about complaining against God. Are you saying, you know, I'm going to take, listen to what Jesus could have done. Jesus could have taken the shortcut up there. Oh, you're going to give me the kingdom because the kingdom is his. Here it is. We're reading about the kingdom. Jesus could have taken the kingdom and been really shortchanged and escaped the cross. He wouldn't have done that, but you understand what I'm trying to say, right? And so what, what is looking down from the enemy? Hey, take the, take the short way. Do what everybody else is doing. 
you can have it. You're going to have it anyway. Do it this way. Somebody just came to me after the sermon on Sunday. Somebody sitting in here with an amazing, attractive opportunity, an amazing, attractive opportunity that when you look on it from the outside, you go, hmm, jump for it. But while this person was here, the Holy Spirit had him or her on a high mountain. And he was asking him to take the high view, the heavenly view, the view that not a lot of people take. And the person went and made a really, really difficult and hard decision to say no to something that most of us would have said yes to. That's what I'm talking about. Here, in this one, he carries away the Spirit to a great and high mountain and shows him the great city, the holy Jerusalem. Set your mind on things above. Do you know that? Set your mind on things above, not the things of the earth. Set your mind on things above. Oh, you say, well, am I, you know, I, I've got a sickness. Yeah, sure. You're on the high mountain. You've got the sickness. It's a reality. Or the boss fired you or whatever. It's a reality, sure. But you're looking to the Lord for your next steps. Right? Okay. So he's there. The Spirit takes him up, shows him this great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, and it has the glory of God. All, listen, I, I, don't, I don't even, that, 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 that sentence right there, that sentence, that little blurb right there is so packed, it, you can almost, all of God's perfections, everything about God that's perfect, everything, all of God's perfections, all his glory, all his weight, all his beauty, all his, uh, 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 you know, perf- perfectness. I mean, just keep going with all, all his majesty, all of the things, the thing that makes him wonderful and beautiful and the best and most unique and holy, that's there. The glory of God is there. <laughs> the great city having the glory of God and her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. That's really diamond. Most people would agree that in the Greek, what they're talking about here is like a diamond. But the point I think here is this city that's coming down is reflecting and full of and, and beautiful with God's glory. But notice this, all his glory is transparent. You can see it all. There's this amazing place in Ohio. Can you believe that, Ohio? Oh, man, you believe that? There's this little college in the middle of Ohio. <laughs> and they built this gymnasium. Can you believe I like a gymnasium? And the whole outside of the gymnasium is all glass. In fact, Cornerstone played basketball there. And you could be standing anywhere and you can see outside. And this thing is massive. They win the Division III uh, swimming championships all the time, Kenyon College. And when I read that, I kind of think about that. But this is a gazillion times better. You can see everywhere and you can see, see nothing secret anymore. The mysteries have all been, you're going to see him as he is. The mysteries have gone away. You can see and you can explore and you can, it's transparent there. And yet still beautiful and still full of his glory. His light, uh, light 
was like a most precious stone. We could do a whole sermon on the light and the glory of God. What is light? What, what happens when you're scared and you flip on the light? You, I don't care how old you are. I don't care how brave you are. I don't care how big you are. I don't care how many guns you got in your hands. I don't care if you're a police officer. I don't care if you're a SWAT guy. I don't care if you're a SEAL guy or gal. If you flip the lights on, you feel better. I don't care what you say. And then think of all the other things the light does. It, even if you're not scared, you flip the light on, now you know which way to go. How about this? You love twinkling lights. I've seen it because you have trees and things at your house and during the Christmas. Well, but what, what, are, what, are those, what do you do at night? You know, I know what you do. You turn off all the other lights and you see the glow of the Christmas lights or whatever lights. Maybe it's the patio lights during the summer. It doesn't have to be Christmas. Those lights make you feel warm and comfortable. They do, right? That's all God. That's what God is. And his light, this city's light was like a most precious stone, like a Jesper stone, and she had a great, why? Because that's where God is. That's the reason, you see. That's why. Hers is like light because God's there. And she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Of course, folks, I got to go. You're going to have to hold on. We're going to go just to about 20 after. I'm sorry maybe even 25 after, but listen to this. The 12 tribes of Israel, salvation comes to the Jews first, and then the Gentiles. Isaiah says that the Jews were to be, listen to this, a light unto the Gentiles. And when did the Jewish nation get in trouble? When they stopped being the light. When they stopped being the light, when they started to get consumed with themselves, hey church, this is a message for us. When they start getting consumed for themselves and they start, uh, stopped, you know, proselytizing, they started, they were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. Well, some of the rabbinical writers said the Gentiles are only good for one thing, and that's to stoke the fires of hell. They started hating the Gentiles. Now, I'm not picking on the Jews because the church is just as bad. We get people who come in here and may look dirty or not have this, and you go, what are you doing? Or maybe you have somebody who, who's, you know, I don't know, does, has a habit that you don't like, and you think, well, that's not godly. I know, but I'm not godly without the Lord. We all, you understand what I'm saying? When we stop pouring out to others, that's the point. Our light dries up. When we stop sharing, when we stop... See, they were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. And they stopped doing that. And we shouldn't stop do that. Or we shouldn't stop that. We should be reaching out. Let's, let's not just be people who come in here and consume the word. Let's do do that. But let's go out there and love people who are hurting and share the gospel. Okay. Okay, you got to hold on comes to the Jews first, then the Gentiles. You know that. Of course they're going to have 12 gates with the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. That's from, these tribes is from where Jesus came from. Of course they're, they're there in the foundation. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations. See, I think it should be like this, folks, not foundations down in the ground. And on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the lambs. Of course, because in Ephesians 2.20, I know it's this one. I know it's this one. I know it's this one. Ephesians 2.20, it says this, that having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. 
That's the church is built on this, right? And there's these 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. And it was laid out in a square. Are you catching this? It's like a square. It's cubed. And if you take it literally, you're talking about a 1,500-mile cube, cubed, if you know what I'm saying, which comes out to about 2.25 million square miles, which if you looked on a map is from Maine to Florida to Colorado. And it's cubed, and it's about the size of the moon. That's what we're talking about here. That's how big this is. And the city is laid as a square, and he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlong, length, breadth, height, or equal. Then he measured its wall. This is funny. The wall is 144 cubits. It's about only 200 feet. The wall is only about 200 feet, but the thing is shooting up 1,500, you know, I mean, up in the sky. I mean, it's a 1,500-mile cube here. It's way up there. And you got all these different 12 levels, so to speak. You catching it? And the construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold. But remember, it's gold, but it's clear. I don't know how to explain that. It's gold, but it's clear because there's always transparency there. You can always see. There's always exploration. You're exploring the, the glories of God, and nothing's being hidden from you anymore. You say, well, man, am I going to miss this in person or am I going to miss? Yeah, okay, I, I get what you're asking. You're going to be so totally consumed with the Lord and his glories. It's just going to be the greatest. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned. Here, here it comes. I got to get to this with all kinds of precious stones. Now, these stones are the same stones. Listen, folks, on the Urim and the Thummim, the thing on the breastplate. The stones with the Urim and Thummim. You know the breastplate of the, in Exodus of the priest? He had the 12 tribes there, 12 jewels. There's actually eight jewels in here are exactly the same. There are four that are different. Those four, most scholars believe just kind of like a different name, but you, you experience that. And what did the, and they, and they wore it over their breastplate, and these foundations have an emerald and a sardonyx. Listen, Right? And all these things, and topaz and all that. And I could go into a whole thing about that. You know, what was the Urim and Thummim? I, I say it wrong all the time. But it was, listen, lights and perfections. Some people believe it said yes and no. Some people believe it meant light and certain perfections. Some people believe it was like casting lots. And some people believe, I'm not saying you have to believe it, but some people believe that when those lots were cast, a jewel would kind of glow. <laughs> And there would be a letter, and then the Lord would speak, yes. Some people believe that. Other people believe the Urim and Thummim weren't actually dice-like things, but were like a stick and a, a stone, and they rolled it, and it said yes. But it was in the midst of the people of God. If you can't stay with me, I think I have a point. You know, there's a lot of people that say stuff like this. Well, I can... And I get it. COVID. I'm, I'm not talking COVID now. COVID, you're making your own decisions. Some, you have to stay home. You have to stay home. I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a normal time. Here's what a lot of people say. Ah, oh, do I really need to be at the church? I mean, I can, I can just go down to the woods and hike and pray. And I can do that too. I love doing that. But here's something. God speaks through his people. I'm convinced of it. 
Now, I don't mean audibly or anything like that, but I, I, I do believe that the Lord gives wisdom to her or to him. And then, you know, as we sit down here together and worship the Lord, as we sit down here together and study his word, and the word hits you in a way, and the word hits we, me in a way, and we come together and we decide those words, and then you say, well, you know, I'm thinking about this for this decision. What do you think? And there's wisdom in that counsel. I believe that the Lord speaks through us and helps and sharpens us. And I believe we're missing out when we're not here. <laughs> I know, COVID's a different situation, but you, you get what I'm saying, right? Okay, now, stick with me, because this might be one of the most touching things of all the Bible. Here it is. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. Now, I want you to think how big those gates were. They were big. By the way, there's no Peter at the gate. <laughs> Don't be telling people that stuff, man. There's no Peter at the gate. Angels at the gate, probably, and they're made of pearl. Now, you've got to hold on for this. You've got to hold on for this because this is the message of the ages. You remember the parable of the, parable, the, parable of, the pearl of great price? I think it's in the Gospels. I'm kidding. It's a joke. Do you remember that parable, the parable, parable of great price? And it's it, that the person there in that parable gave, went and bought that f whole thing, the whole field. So he, you, right? Well, let me just take you to it. Matthew 13. I'm getting ahead of myself because I want to tell you the punchline so bad. Matthew 13, verses... 45 and 46. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, I was starting to mix my parables too, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And we decided when we went through all of that, that Jesus is the one who gave it all to buy the pearl, and you're the pearl. And now, wait a minute, folks, because where's my friend John Kennedy? He was sitting here in the back. So if he's downstairs, John Kennedy, listen here, man. We were here and I were talking about this the other day. I mentioned it. You see, you're a pearl. You and me, you know what we are? We're irritating. That's what a pearl is. It's irritated. Sand gets in there and the water and then da-da-da-da-da-da, right? And the, right? And... And it grows into something. You're, what is it? The oyster. And then it's irritated and irritated, more irritated, and the Lord's chipping. And then it grows into something really pretty, and people put it on necklaces. And listen to this. And a whole big 12 gates. One of the most prominent things when you walk into the city of New Jerusalem is that reminder that God took you from where he did, and he brought you home. A trophy of God's grace. It's going to be all around, and you're going to be reminded. See, here's what I want you to know. That's how important you are. What lengths the Lord would go to 
to get you back to his presence with him forever and ever. In heaven, in the new Jerusalem, there are going to be these gates, these pearl gates. There will be pearly gates. There ain't going to be no Peter beside him. But when you walk there, it's not, you know how they tell the jokes about whether I'm in or not. No, you're going to stroll in so pleasantly, confidently, but not bragging humbly because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And you're going to see the pearls and you go, he brought me here. Isn't that incredible? All right. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the, land, and the Lamb are in its temple. There's one thing I haven't told you as we've been studying through these end times things. Ezekiel seems to say that there's an actual temple rebuilt in Jerusalem during the millennial kingdom. We can talk about that a different day. But in the new Jerusalem... There's no temple. Why? Because he tabernacles among us. <laughs> you know how some people, oh, I'm going to offend some older folks here. Oh, well, here we go. You know, like if somebody wears a hat in here, there's some people that get really uptight about hats. No, no offense, Brad, because I don't get uptight. Huh, uh, uh, Cheyenne, don't be uptight. I don't get uptight about hats. Uh, Bre uh, Grant, don't worry. You know why? You know why, folks? Listen to this, because in heaven, check this out, you know, the, the old timers say, well, this is no place for a hat. This is a sacred place. This is God's house. Really? He's God's house. He, she, and they just have God's house. God's house happens to be wearing a hat. Are you catching what I'm saying? Oh, man, I hope I'm going to hear it now. What I want you to say is when you get to heaven, look, there's no separation between sacred and secular. It's all holy. You see that? There, there's no need for a temple, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple, and the city had no need of the sun or the moon. This is my last thing. I know I've gone over, but this is too good not to show you. I even know where it is. In Psalm 36, 9, I think you should teach this to yourself. Even I can remember it in one shot. I'll never forget it. You won't either. You could teach this to your kids. Learn it yourself. It says this, Psalm 36, 9, In your light, we see light. In your light, we see light. In other words, when the Lord has filled us up and we're in His presence, we really see like we've never seen before. You know, like I was talking to you about that hard decision that somebody in here had to make. I'm going to tell you, people of the world would have said, what are you doing? But that person saw clearly in the light of Jesus Christ. You don't need a sun. You don't need a moon. And here, there is none. For the glory of God illuminated all God's perfections and the Lamb is its light and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth uh, bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. Isn't that beautiful? You're still going to have those gates. Welcome in. But you don't need to shut them. There's security. Are you... Right? You ever been in a new city? And you have to park somewhere where you don't really want to park and you're like, oh no, I forgot my laptop's with me or I don't know, you don't, it's dark or whatever. How secure do you feel? Or maybe out in the country, I don't know, I'm not picking on cities, but you know what I'm saying. 
Here, you can leave the gates open. By the way, just so you know, everyone's welcome if they'll surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. Nobody can be held, nobody's to be held out if they surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. If that's something you've never done, that's you to do. God isn't going to exclude anybody. We exclude ourselves, not taking advantage of the provision that he's provided. They won't be shut, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Wow. I went long, I know. I'm so sorry. But man, I can't think of a greater way to end this year than to have the hope of heaven. Because really, folks, what is it that man could throw at us? There's nothing. The worst thing that man could ever do, death, is just an entryway to here. So let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for this evening, and I'm sorry for going long. But Lord, it's just so important to know these truths, and I'm glad that we're here to learn them. And then, Lord, I'm glad that we can share them with others. We have the hope of heaven. Let's not hold it to ourselves. Let's give it out tomorrow and this evening and at all times. Help us, Lord, to be ones who, when we're taken up, we're looking up, Lord, and not looking down. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.